Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. How many of you in here know that God is a God of timing? I thought it would be more, honestly. (laughs) Come on, let me hear you. How many in here know that our God is a God of timing? Speak up now. All right. You know this to be true, don't you? He's all about timing. Somebody in here this morning needs to hear this. Somebody watching this on the video this morning needs to hear this. God is a God of timing. He is indeed. And I'm going to prove it to you. Challenge accepted. I'm going to prove it to you this morning. Palm Sunday is all about timing. Did you know that? And the palm branches are great. It's festive. When I was a kid, I'd always take the palm branch and I'd rip the leaves off and I'd, you know, use it as a switch on my brother's legs. You know, it was usually, usually warm enough for shorts by that time, you know, so, you know. But it's about more than the palm branches. It's more, it's a, It's more than war for children, right? (laughs) Let me ask you a question. I said I'm going to prove it to you this morning, so you got to hold me to that, okay? How many in here remember when Jesus turned water into wine? You remember that miracle? Yeah? Everyone's favorite miracle, right? Seriously. It's definitely his most well-known miracle globally. I mean, even unbelievers know that Jesus turned water into wine, all right? Why? Well, for starters, it was his first miracle, but more than that, it was a wedding ceremony, right? Can anybody guess why uh, a a wedding ceremony might resonate with people? Well, exactly. We are born to be the bride of Christ. Every single person on this planet was born to be the bride of Christ, Christ our bridegroom. So there's something within us that resonates with that, I believe. Now, he also used these vessels, these big pots at the wedding feast. These big pots were normally used for purification. They were purification vessels. The law said, here's how you have to do uh, the shedding of the blood, and then here's how you do the cleansing, and here are the vessels that you use to legalistically cleanse. Jesus decided to use those vessels and make wine with them. So, from legalistic cleansing to celebration of a wedding which, as we'll see in a minute, would be indicative of the era that Jesus was about to launch with said miracle. But let me ask you this. Does anybody remember the first thing that Jesus said to his mother when she said, Jesus, there's no more wine. We need wine. Obviously, she knew that he had it in him, right? But does anybody remember the first thing that Jesus said to her after being asked to to perform said miracle? Let's just read it. John chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. I'm going to read the New King James Version. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does, this is why I I call Amber woman sometimes, right? (laughs) Woman, what do you? Come on now. Woman, what does your 
What does your concern have to do with me? And this is what I'm getting at here, okay? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do, just do it, all right? It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. Plain and simple right there. So when would be the time? When would his time come, his hour come? We always love to ask Jesus that, don't we? We always love to, Lord, when is it going to be time? <laughs> right? Just me? I've been praying. I've been praying. Is it time yet? I'm, pay, I'm waiting on your timing, Lord. I don't want it a second before you want to give it, right? I don't, I don't want to be behind your timing. I don't want to be ahead of it either. Amen? Amen? We love to ask Jesus when it's time yet. So when would it be time? He said it wasn't time at the wedding. Well, Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 23 is when his time came. Let's just read. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And we do a whole study on this verse, and you can figure out what day it was, by the way, just on the reading, but we're not going to get into that today. Let's keep reading verse 17. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Do we have any broken hearts here this morning? The brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives. Do we have any captives or slaves here this morning? And recover sight recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is so cool. That word, I, I marked it in your notes there, that word, dec, that word for acceptable there in the Greek is the word dektos. It means far more than just acceptable. It means the year where free-flowing abundance is available to all. Mm. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? Their eyes were fixed on him, though, because that wasn't the end of the passage, was it? If you're familiar with this study, he was reading from Isaiah chapter 62. And that wasn't where the sentence ended. Isaiah chapter 62 actually continues after a comma and says, and the day of vengeance of our God or Lord. So he's here to pro proclaim the, the acceptable year of the Lord, the time, the timing when it begins that the free flowing abundant favor of God has arrived. It's here now. And then he stopped just before the day of vengeance of our Lord. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, it's time, and it's fulfilled today. Verse 22, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words. Words, they are gracious words, aren't they? Wow, full of grace. Words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's kid? Right? Remember, he's in his own hometown of Nazareth at this point. Verse 23, he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. 
Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. This is interesting. This is really interesting because he's obviously prophesying of the day that would come a, we call it Good Friday now, although it's probably a Wednesday. But when he would give up his life for us and hang on that cross. This is actually, what's interesting is a lot of times we see these things happen, Proverbs are mentioned, and they're actually talking about Proverbs, right? Or something from the book of the prophets, something in the Bible. He's actually referencing a secular proverb here. You didn't know that Jesus referenced pop culture, did you? Well, this was a pop culture proverb. It's actually a proverb, a Greek proverb from the 6th century BC. So 600 years this had been toiling around, this saying toiling around the the, uh, the, uh, Mediterranean area. Basically, he went pop culture to say, you will surely say to me, physician, heal yourself. And then in short order after that, they tried to kill him. So he was on a clock, is what we're looking at this morning. He was on a clock. Why? Because God is a God of, somebody say it, timing. The clock of timing. And guess what? He actually expected everybody to know the timing. We know that because in Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 through 3, Jesus says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees something. Let's read verse 1 through 3. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you will say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, verse three, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. What's Jesus saying here? He expected them to know the timing of everything. That word times in the Greek, we have it for you. It's simply the word keros, and it means this. Are you ready for it? So when Jesus said, you hypocrites, you know when it's going to be good weather for sailing but, uh, and fishing, but you don't know when the Son of Man has come to you. You don't know the timing, the signs of the times. Basically, he was saying this. You don't know the signs the signals of the times, the keros, which means a due measure, a fixed and definite time, specific, the time when things are brought to crisis, the decisive epoch waited for. How about that for a definition? Wow. There's a lot more in that word than we realized. You didn't, you know how to read the sky, but you missed the decisive epoch that you have been waiting for for generations. It's the right time to what time brings the things and events of time. He expected them to know. He expected them to know. Well, how could they know? Why should they have known? Why would Jesus expect them to know? The Jewish people were commanded by God to celebrate certain feast days of the Lord. The menorah in the temple, for example, has, uh, anybody know how many candlesticks it has? Seven, yeah. And they would actually hold oil in the temple, and each one of them represented one of the seven feasts of the Lord. And God wanted them to do this so that they would remember certain things. These were feast days for the Lord. They were, they were two-tiered. They were commemorative of certain things, so we wouldn't forget, because God knows we forget, right? Right? 
But the way in which he asked them to celebrate them were prophetic for things that would come. So keeping in mind that they're commemorative and prophetic, briefly, let's take an example of the example of Passover. This is a pretty well-known feast, right? On the secular calendar, it actually began yesterday. How about that? It began yesterday, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit this week on our online study on Wednesday. It actually runs through April 4th. It's a seven-day feast. You guys remember the story of the Passover, don't you? Has, has the Ten Commandments been on TV yet? Not yet? Uh, God willing, they still show it, right? But, you know, we remember the scene from Charlton Heston's movie, right? The death angel passes over the houses that the doorposts were marked with blood, right? Well, to, to commemorate that, God instituted a certain way that they would, that they would celebrate this feast. They would bring it, the, like they gave the Passover lamb the first time. God said, every year I want you to bring another Passover lamb, and I want you to do it just like this. And like, I'm not going to talk too much about it, because then we'll have nothing to talk about on Wednesday, right? But they would remember it, and if you were poor and you couldn't afford a lamb, then, you know, the, the temple would provide doves or pigeons or whatnot for the poor. In any case, in any case, that was the Passover, commemorative of how he saved them in Egypt, but prophetic for something else that would come, okay? I bet you can guess what that is, but let's hold off for a second. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4 through 5 when I was a kid, I thought this was the most boring book in the entire Bible. And now it's almost one of the most fascinating. It's one of the most prophetic books in the whole Bible. But let's read about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verse 4 reads, there are the fe- These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which in the, the Hebrew is mikra, which means a dress rehearsal, speaking of the prophetic side of it. Convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. So commemorative of Egypt, but prophetically fulfilled in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We see how it was fulfilled. Therefore, Paul writes, purge out the old leaven. Leaven is symbolic of sin to the Hebrew people that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, was, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So prophetically fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, which is also why it was very important that when he was crucified, not one bone was broken in his body. Why? That was part of the instructions that they were given for the offering of the Lamb. So to truly fulfill that prophetically and be the Passover lamb once and for all, there it was. So it's actually, believe it or not, important for us to understand the Passover if we are truly going to understand Palm Sunday and why it is I say Palm Sunday is all about God's timing. All about God's timing. So let me read to you Exodus chapter 12, verse 3 through 6. God says, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. 
According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6, so keep that in mind on the 10th. We're keeping it. Verse 6, now you shall keep it until the 14th of the same month. Does anybody remember what we just read? What happens on the 14th? The Passover offering. That lamb is offered. So take it on the 10th, keep it till the 14th. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. On the 10th of Nisan, the lamb is identified and presented to the priests. And this was the tradition. This is what they would do. They would, on the 10th, bring it to the priests, give it to them, inspected, and it was inspected to be sure that it was without blemish. Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God. Do you see the type and shadow? Do you see it? The Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world without spot or blemish. So then, though, on the 14th, ritually killed exactly in the manner as was instructed to do in Leviticus and Exodus on Passover. But remember, remember this. Within the context of which we speak today, remember the 10th of Nisan. What does that have to do with Palm Sunday and Palm Sunday being all about the timing of God? Well, for that, we're going to look in Daniel chapter 9 and read five verses. We're going to read five verses out of Daniel chapter 9. We're going to read verses 23 through 27. We're going through a lot of scripture today. I really, I'm really put myself up, my back up against the wall here because I said I was going to prove it to you, right? So give me a chance here. Daniel chapter 9, verse 22 through 27. <clears throat> oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Angel speaking, the messenger speaking to Daniel. Can we just all push pause for a minute and ask God to give us skill to understand? Don't we need some of that? At the beginning, verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. The beginning of his prayers, the com- at the beginning, it took a minute for the angel to arrive, right? But it was answered immediately. Remember that when you pray and you're thinking about God's timing in your life, all right? The command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. I just love reading the Old Testament and seeing the New Testament everywhere, don't you? God's people are greatly beloved by him. You are greatly beloved by him. Paul often refers to you as beloved, beloved. Mm. Do you feel beloved? Satan is always trying to rob us of that. He's always trying to rob us of that identity. You know what? No matter what else happens to me in life, whether I succeed or fail, no matter what anybody thinks of me, and I mean anybody, I can know that one thing, with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, he loves me. And you know what? That's good enough. We can just go from there, can't we? You are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And this does take skill to understand. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, 
to make an end of sins, hmm. to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, everlasting, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command, pay attention to this now, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the Prince. You get that? Jesus is coming. Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. From the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. What's seven plus 62? Anybody? Math majors, 69, right? There we go. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. So seven first, then 62, then Messiah cut off. So 69 weeks, Messiah cut off. So after the 69th, before the 70th week, remember back in verse 22, 70 weeks, or 24, excuse me, 70 weeks were determined. So up to the 69th, Messiah cut off. Before that 70th week, he will be cut off. That word there in the Hebrew is karat. It means cut off. There literally means execution, death penalty. So the Messiah will be executed. Here it is right there. Here it is right there. So shouldn't Israel have been looking for their Messiah to be executed? I say yes. You also see references to that in Leviticus 7, Psalm 37, Proverbs chapter 2. But he'll be cut off, but not for himself. He's not doing it for self-aggrandizement or whatever. It's not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The prince who is to come is a reference to end-time antichrist. Okay? That's why a lot of people think that he'll be of Roman descent somehow, whether it's Eastern or Western uh, Empire, because who destroyed the temple? Titus, the Romans, right? So here he is. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood or despora and Till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27, last verse. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. There is your 70th week that we talk about a lot when we study end-time prophecy and the time of Jacob's trouble, a 70-year tribulation period that is still yet to come upon the earth. But in the middle of the week, what's a week? Seven days. What's the middle of a week? Three and a half, right? Three and a half plus three and a half is seven. In the middle of the week, three and a half years or 42 months or 1260 days, all different time period, all time periods are referenced five different times in Revelation. Three and a half years, 42 months is three and a half years. 1260 days is still three and a half years. So halfway through in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. What does any of this have to do with Palm Sunday? There's a lot to unpack here. 
But for today's purposes, look back at verse 25. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, the street and the wall. Remember that, the street and the wall prophetically shall be built again. When it is built again, remember Daniel's in Babylon, Jerusalem, abandoned. They've been overrun, taken prisoner into Babylon, and he receives this prophecy. When the streets of Jerusalem and the wall around it are rebuilt, count 62, 7 and 62, count 69 weeks to the Hebrews. A week was seven years. So one week, seven days, they think seven years, okay? That makes a total, if we have this on the screen, a total of 69 weeks, as I just mentioned, a week to the Hebrews was seven years. That makes a total of, are you ready for it? 476 years, or if you're really paying attention, 173,880 days. Why am I being so meticulous and showing you the details here? Well, something happened. Something happened to happen in the year 445 B.C. Can I see this next picture? This is a Cyrus cylinder, and anybody can go see it if you'd like to. It's on display in the uh, Museum of London. Anybody can go look at it if you'd like to. This is how uh, how the Syrians would keep records. They'd chisel history or a decree onto Cyrus cylinders. Well, this particular Cyrus cylinder happens to issue a decree to rebuild the streets and the walls in Jerusalem. And it happened to be written in 445 BC on actually this date specifically, March 14th. Can I see that next graphic? March 14th, 445 BC, the commandment is issued by Artaxerxes I to rebuild the wall. So there is a starting point. By the way, uh, this was Vashti's boy. You remember the story of Esther? Artaxerxes I. May, maybe had a soft spot in his heart for the Hebrew people, considering that his stepmom was Esther, huh? Isn't history cool? Well, if that's the decree to rebuild the streets and the walls, I guess all we have to do is count, huh? If we count forward 476 years, we have to adjust subtracting one for uh, there being no year zero to get into the AD from the BC, right? Or from the BCE to the CE, common era, right? (laughs) You're with me. I know you're with me. If we do just a little bit of math, and trust me, I'm not smart enough to have figured this out. This all comes to, uh, to us from The Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson. If anybody wants to pick up that book, it's worth the read. If we just do some math, we arrive at April 6, 32 AD, which happens to be the 10th of Nisan that year. Can anybody guess what happened on the 10th of Nisan in 32 AD? You're glad you stayed with me now, aren't you? I'll let you guess, although I thought I heard somebody say it. It, But it might have had something to do with Palm Sunday. Let's read John chapter 12, verse 12 through 9 together. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival 
What festival was that? Passover. They'd come for the Passover festival. Remember what happened on the 10th of Nisan? The, the lamb was presented to the priest to be inspected. So the crowd had come for the festival. Uh, and they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, verse 13, and they took palm branches. And they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna, which in the Hebrew tongue means save now, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Verse 16, at first his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to spread the word. Many people, verse 18, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Oh, can't you just hear Satan's forked tongue in their mouths? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, save us, save now. They were proclaiming their faith that Jesus was their Messiah. I believe they were. However, there's something even more fascinating in the fact that as they ran, they were saying this proverb. This is actually a proverb, okay? Now, we know that the singing of Psalm 118 was something that they traditionally did on this day as they brought their lambs in for inspection, Let's read Psalm 118, verse 24 through 26. I bet you'll never guess what it says. This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen? We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day. You guys remember that one? That the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Sorry, I'm getting carried away. <laughs> Save now, I pray. Save now, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. This is amazing. I can't believe that all just randomly happened. Can you? What are the odds? This means, church, by the way, that at the same time that the priests are preparing the Passover lamb at the northern gate in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, doing the inspection of the lamb, the dress rehearsal for, what, for when the Messiah would come, they're doing the literal dress rehearsal for when the Messiah would come, and Jesus was entering through the eastern gate as was prophesied that he would do in Ezekiel 43 and Ezekiel 44. Amen. How many people in here this morning need to shout, I know you can feel it in your bones, Hosanna. Let me hear it. Yeah. Hosanna! Come on now. God is good. Save now. Jesus, save me. Save us. Save this world, Lord. Do you know that he can save you? 
doesn't always feel like it, does it? It's easy to get lost, lost in our own minds, lost in our own discouragement, lost in the discouraging words of others, lost to addiction, lost in lust, lost to fear. He can save you, church. He can save you from your sickness. He can save you from your depression. He can save you from yourself. (laughs) A lot of us just need to be saved from ourselves. Jesus is right on time, church. He's right on time. He's never late. You need to know that. He's never late. Here we see our Messiah fulfilling multiple, multiple prophecies all at the same time. Events all at once. The prophecy of the donkey came to us from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Even that. Did you notice the crosses on the back of the little donkeys out there? Some like to say that was a gift from God to them, for they carried the Prince of Peace. Amen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. You know what else I love? Salvation, having salvation. In Zechariah, this would have been written in Hebrew initially, obviously. And in the Hebrew, the word for salvation is Yeshua. His very name meant salvation, church. So I could just read that. He is just in having Jesus, Yeshua, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Luke chapter 19 tells the story. 28 through 40. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a young donkey tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. I'm going to try that with a car, I think. <laughs> I always wanted to try that. I don't know. (laughs) Lord needs it. (laughs) I'm sure that'd be fine. Verse 32. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. Verse 33. As they were untying the donkey, its owner said to them, why are you untying the donkey? Verse 34. They said, the Lord needs it. Verse 35. This is the best part of the whole thing because uh, there's no dispute. They just brought it to Jesus. There's no, and the owner was like, what's that you say? No, they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. Verse 36, as he was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. Mm. Matthew 21, verse 8 says, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Mark chapter 11, verse 8 says, leafy branches. I love that visual. They didn't want the king of king riding on donkey to step in a hole, so they put their expensive coat in the hole, right? To make the road softer, the children laying down palm branches. 
Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of, the, of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Verse 38, the king who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're calling you the Messiah. They're calling you the son of God. Jesus' response, he answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silence, the stones would cry out. Woo! I feel it, don't you? I think they would have. He made a donkey, donkey talk once, right? Oh, church. <clears throat> God is so good. Our last scripture this morning. I want to close with the end of his journey into Jerusalem. Our God is a God of timing. He waited for the exact right moment to start his ministry. By the way, we talk about that three and a half year period mentioned in Daniel, mentioned five different times in Revelation. Does anyone want to guess how long Jesus' ministry was? Three and a half years. Nothing coincidental Nothing accidental about it. He's a God of timing. He waited for the exact right day to begin his ministry because he knew when it would end, and he knew he wanted it to be three and a half years. And he knew the exact day that he was supposed to show up and ride that donkey from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Going back 173,880, 88 days to the day. And he approached Jerusalem. And he saw the city and he wept over it. Why is he so meticulous? And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. How many of us find ourselves in a place of turmoil in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives? And, and don't you know that Jesus is there and he sees you and he thinks, if you only could see and know what would bring you peace today, he can bring you peace today, church. But now it's hidden from your eyes. He says, verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize, read this line with me, what the time of God's coming to you. Thus it was, church, within a generation. That generation, in 70 AD, 38 years later, after Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, in the Hebrew tongue, spoke this prophecy and was crucified, cut off, executed. Jerusalem was besieged and brutally destroyed when Titus Vespasian, with the 5th, 10th, and 12th, 
Roman legions did build a Roman siege wall embankment around the city, starving and slaughtering over a million Jews. But if you remember, if you remember in Luke, Jesus gave his followers a warning, so many of the Christians had already fled into the hills. But the Jewish people lost a million that day. Hmm. They slaughtered a million Jews. They tore down the temple stone by stone. You know why they did it? Well, they set fire to Jerusalem. They weren't supposed to tear the temple down, but when the temple caught fire, there was gold between the stones. So the Roman soldiers toppled every single stone to get the gold out as the gold melted from within the temple. Hmm. Thus, one stone was not left upon the other exactly as Jesus, Yeshua, had prophesied. Destruction came to Jerusalem that day. But salvation has come to you this morning. Amen? If you can see past yourself, if you can see past your circumstances, your hard decisions, if you can see through all of it just to see Jesus. I just want you to see Jesus this morning. If you don't see anything else, see Jesus this morning. See his heart. Why is he a God of timing? Because he loves you. Because he wanted you to recognize him by coming on those exact days, by being precise. No one could argue that it was he. The suffering Messiah that was to come to bring, the, to bring and declare the dectos year of the Lord where free-flowing abundance and favor flows. Mm. Church, even most of the people that had days earlier declared Jesus to be the king of kings turned on Jesus when it turned out that he wasn't going to save them in the manner that they hoped that he would. You know, this issue of timing is big for us because God doesn't always do things the way that we think he will or the way that we think we think that he should even. Am I right? But I promise you this, especially if you're somebody who's been awaiting, especially if you're, you're somebody who's been saying, when then, God, if not now, when? He is right on time. He is right on time. God sees you, he hears you, he's going to use it all, and he'll be right on time, I promise you. God is coming to you this morning. You have an opportunity to receive Jesus this morning, to see him for who he is, what he is. You have that chance today. I implore you, recognize the time of God's coming to you. What is he saying? What is he saying to you this morning? Are you listening for what you want to hear? Or are you willing to let him blow your mind? Because they were not expecting, though they should have, to see the king of kings riding a donkey into Jerusalem. Now, they wanted the warrior. They wanted Jesus of Revelation. See, they're getting their prophecies out of order. Say Hosanna with me this morning. Will you say that? Say Hosanna. Say it out loud. Hosanna. 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 Our Savior has come this morning, church.
Amen? Save us, Jesus, save me. His promises are true. Do you know that? Do you believe it? And guess what? He's coming again. Maranatha. Amen? Hallelujah. He is coming again, and he is coming soon. Oh, he, I, sooner than you think, I believe. Are you ready? Maybe this message is right on time for you today. I hope it is. With every eye closed and every head bowed, we'll close here today. If you are here this morning, maybe you've been depressed, you have been frustrated, you've been wondering where he is, you've been praying. It doesn't seem like he can hear you because you don't see anything happening, certainly not on your timetable. Maybe it doesn't feel like he's so much a God of timing as a God who's forgotten you. I promise you, he has not forgotten you. He sees you right where you are. This day in your life is not a surprise to him. If you need to put your trust back into the timing of our Lord this morning, raise your hand. You can put it right back down. I just want you to bring it to the throne. Bring it right to him. Jesus. Oh, we say we trust you this morning, Jesus. Couldn't come soon enough for me, Lord, so please let it be soon, Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, to my circumstances, my, sin, my life, Lord. Come quickly with the answers to my prayers, Lord, the scenarios in my life that I'm bringing to you, God, the people in my life that I'm bringing to you. Come quickly, Lord. But Lord, if you don't, I trust you. If it's longer than I expect, I trust you. If it's not how I expect or would like, I say I trust you anyway. Amen? Oh, Hosanna. Save. Save now, Lord. If you're here this morning and you need the Lord to do a work in your life, And you just need to lay it down. Maybe you've been running your own way too long and it's time you surrender and you know it because the Holy Spirit is speaking that to you in your heart right now. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him. Maybe you've never truly put your faith and trust in him that the cross was enough, that the empty tomb was really empty. And that's for you. If you need to do that this morning, maybe for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, raise your hand again right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your timing. We thank you for today. We thank you that the time has come for so many today to take that first step on a journey that is in lockstep with you. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I trust you. I trust your timing. I lift my prayers to you with expectation to see you move. But I trust you. So I wait with peace and joy. Come into my heart. Make me new, Lord. 
Refresh my spirit. Walk with me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, May the Lord bless you, church. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour his favor and grace out upon you. May you prosper in all you do. Happy Palm Sunday. We love you guys. Have a good week.